Amen. Thank you, Scott, Faye, and band, choir. You know, I don't know what I was thinking um, when I decided that we would just take the whole chapter of John chapter 14 today uh, for the message because there's so much rich goodness in this chapter. I, I don't know how arrogant it must have been for me to presume that I could possibly adequately exegete all the meat of this passage, uh, but we're going to try to at least cover the highlights today of this amazing passage of Scripture by focusing really on two promises that we see in it. For our guests today and for all these college kids that showed up today, uh, we want to just explain we're walking through the Gospel of John all throughout 2019, just going verse by verse through this amazing gospel message that the Apostle John has for us. And now we're in the scene in the upper room where Jesus is at the end of his life and he's about to be betrayed and tried and executed. And chapter 13 is really kind of a preamble. Uh, it's, it's a cleansing of the new community. Jesus washes their feet and then he dismisses Judas from their their midst. So now he's down to his 11 core disciples. And really chapter 14 is where he's diving into the heart of his final message, the farewell discourse that he gives to his disciples and vicariously that he gives to us, his followers now. So will you please stand in honor of God's word if you are able to, as I read John chapter 14, the whole thing, the whole thing in its entirety. So yeah, get ready. Hear now the word of the Lord. Listen with the Holy Spirit as your guide. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak in my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth 
whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words and the word that you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. These things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I'm going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father. For the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me. But I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. You made it. You know, there's a lot of troubling things in this world, aren't there? We all know that there are a myriad of things that give us anxiety, that, that trouble our hearts, that make us fear, that make us worry. The world is full of these things because the world is a sin-sick and broken place. I've had a lot of friends this week who've told me what a rough week, what a rough period of their lives they're walking through right now, and that their hearts are heavy and troubled. We live in an age of anxiety. We know that it's a, a multi-million dollar industry of medications and therapy, which, I mean, I'm, I'm all for all these things that help us, that God has provided for us. Uh, gyms, health memberships, all these things that we spend our time and money on in an effort to overcome the anxiety of our hearts, the troubled tempest that rages inside of us that we try to overcome on our own often. Jesus gives us a prescription here to deal with the troubled heart that we so often carry. You know, walking through life just trying to manage our troubled hearts, just trying to get through the day without breaking down. That's just surviving. That's just trying to manage what's going on in a way that just gets us from day to day. And maybe that's where you are today, and, and that's just the reality, and that's okay. But it's not, where <coughs> it's not where God intends for us to go. Jesus came, what, John 10, 10, 
so that we may have life and have it to the fullest. That's not just trying to manage our daily anxiety. This is something different. Just getting through each day is surviving. Jesus came that we may thrive and flourish as he would have us to both as individuals, families, and as a church as well. It's not prosperity gospel. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about flourishing for his sake, by his grace, and for his glory. And Jesus is no stranger to anxiety. I mentioned last week how in John chapter 12 and in John chapter 13, even Jesus says, I'm troubled in my spirit. The, the tempest of emotions that so often affects you and me also affected Jesus in his humanity. How great is it to have a savior, a high priest who has walked where we are walking now. He knows what we're going through because he himself has put on flesh and experienced human weakness, including a troubled heart. But here in chapter 14 now, we can tell the disciples are troubled because at the beginning of verse 1, Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. Again in verse 27, he repeats it. Let not your hearts be troubled. I mean, think about it. These guys, they've, they've left everything behind to follow Jesus as their Lord and Master, their teacher, their rabbi, who has called them to leave their nets behind and to leave their families behind and to follow him as disciples. They've, they've put their careers completely off. They've basically become homeless. They're, they're just wandering from town to town following Jesus, hoping that someone will give them room and board for the night. They've, they've left it all. Their parents, their families, sometimes husbands or their, their wives, I mean, all these men that have walked away from their, their families and everything in their lives in order to follow Jesus, and now he's going away. The one that they've given their whole lives to is leaving. Just when things were going really good, too. You know, they, they got run out of Jerusalem the last time, but this time they show up in Jerusalem not knowing what they're going to find. And instead of the temple police coming to arrest them or the Roman guards coming to, to, to try them and execute them, they, there's an adoring crowd. John chapter 12 is the triumphant entry. Things are going their way finally. And Jesus says, yeah, it's time for me to go. What? It was, it was Passover. It was a happy occasion. It was a festival. They had got this amazing upper room where Jesus had somehow procured a feast for them to celebrate together. And yet, he's leaving. In John chapter 13, verse 33, right before the commandment to love one another as Jesus has loved us, he says to them, little children, yet a little while I'm with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now also I say to you, where I'm going, you cannot come. What? The Jews, I understand, they, they, they weren't believing. The Jewish authorities were combative and resistant to the message of Jesus, but these are his disciples. He says, yeah, you guys too. Sorry, you can't come. What are they supposed to do now? They can't simply go back to their old way of life. Everything has been changed and transformed by following the one who they have come to believe in and know as the son of the living God, God in the flesh. They certainly weren't ready to go out and change the world and lead this 
new covenant community by themselves. They were, like Jesus said, as sheep without a shepherd at that point. And into this context, Jesus tells them, let not your hearts be troubled. It's going to be okay. In the Greek, it, it actually says something like, let not your hearts shudder. Let your hearts not tremble. That reminds me of that Rich Mullins song, Hold Me, Jesus, because I'm shaking like a leaf. You have been king of my glory. Won't you be my prince of peace inside of the tempest in my soul? It may look like your world's caving in. It may look like things are going really bad because Jesus knows what's coming. He knows he's about to be arrested. He knows he's about to be tried, and he will lose that trial. He will be wrongfully convicted. He will be successfully executed by the Roman authorities once the high priest had handed him over, handed him over to them. And he says, it's going to get really bad here, but let not your hearts be troubled. It may look like the darkness is going to win, but let not your hearts be troubled. And then he explains the key right there in verse 1. Believe in God. Believe also in me. That's the key. The way to have an untroubled heart is to believe in God. That sounds really simple, and it is. So Jesus puts some meat on it for us because he knows we're going to need some specifics. The original tenses here imply keep on believing. Persevere in your belief in me, in your belief in God. Continue to believe what you've seen and learned and known. And when he says belief here, he's not talking about mere intellectual agreement. Yes, Jesus is Lord. Yes, God is God. God's real. I believe in him and his existence. That's not what he's talking about. Belief in this sense is about putting all of our trust, all of our hopes, all of our longing and deepest desires into Jesus Christ. It's, it's betting our lives on God, putting all that we are, all that we hope to be, our futures, our past and present into Christ. Jesus knew that we were going to need some more explanation here, so in verse 2 he says, one of the keys is to believe that he's going to prepare a place for us. I read this text at funerals often. In my father's house, verse 2, are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? One of the keys to avoiding a troubled heart is to remember that this world, as broken as it is, it's not our home. It's not our eternal dwelling place. We were made for something else. Our hearts long for the kingdom of God to be done perfectly on earth as it is in heaven. Because as adopted sons and daughters of the king, we long to be in that kingdom perfectly. Our eternal home will be with the Lord in glory. For Christians, we shouldn't get too comfortable here then. Our regenerated souls know deep down that, that we were not made for this world, that we belong to the kingdom of heaven. Our reward is therefore not to be found in this life. Our reward is to spend eternity with God face to face, to know him as we are known, 
to see clearly, not through a mirror darkly like we do now. And the personal touch that he puts on our eternity is an amazing thing, isn't it? He says, I go to prepare a place for you. You know, Morgan and I got to go to this resort in North Carolina for our uh, wedding anniversary just a couple months ago. And, and it was, we weren't prepared for how posh it was. I, I, I don't think I've ever stayed in a place with turn down service. I didn't even know what that is. As if I can't be bothered to turn down my sheets myself at night while I'm at dinner, some stranger comes into our, my room and pulls my sheets down for me and puts a mint on my pillow. That's okay, that's, that's awesome. Tuxedo strawberries, do you know what that is? I didn't know that was a thing, but we arrived in our room and someone had prepared strawberries and then there was a sign in case you didn't know what they were. It said tuxedo strawberries. Oh, thanks. And they were strawberries dipped in white chocolate and then in dark chocolate to look like a tuxedo. They were delicious. They were cold. They were fresh. To think that Jesus is getting our eternal home ready for us. These many rooms in his father's house, he's getting one ready for me. He's getting one ready for you. To believe that in our souls is overwhelming and wonderful and should give us hope beyond this world. How else do we believe in God? How else do we find peace for our troubled souls? Well, we believe also, verse three, that he's coming again that he's coming again to take us to be with him. Verse three says, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. In the New Testament, there are no less than 300 references to the second coming of Christ. We often forget about this, I feel like, in our modern churches. We celebrate the first advent of Jesus every year at Christmas when God came to rescue the world by entering into humanity as a baby in a manger. It's an amazing thing. It's beautiful and it should be celebrated like we do. But how much greater will the second advent be when Jesus Christ burst into our world with a million angels, the armies of heaven swirling be be beside him behind him coming in through the clouds to say enough all the wrongs I'm going to make them all right I'm going to bring justice and healing just as Revelation 20 21 22 tell us is going to happen we live in a broken world we're broken people but God is coming back to finish the work of redemption that began 2,000 years ago at the resurrection of Christ Theologians tell us that we live currently in the now, but not yet, but the yet is coming. We live in this weird tension where we've been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection, and we've been transformed, and the old has gone, and the new has come, but we still have cancer. We still have divorce. We still have poverty. We still have these things that infect our world because we live in the now, but not yet. But one day, the yet's coming. And it won't be the now, but not yet. It will just be the now. Can't wait for that. This is our hope. Our hope is not in politics. Our hope is not in governments to save us. Our hope is not in the economy. Our hope is not even in our human relationships with our families or our jobs or anything else. 
We wait for Jesus to come back. Titus chapter 2, verse 13 says that we're now waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's our hope, our blessed hope. And you may say, honestly, okay, Nathan, that sounds great, but I, I, I'm not there. I, I don't feel that longing like you're talking about. I don't wait for Jesus as my hope. I'm just, I'm not there yet. How do I believe that's true? How, how does that become my ultimate hope? Well, you can ask those questions. You may say, how did he know I was thinking that? It's okay. Jesus can handle that. Look at Philip's question. Look at Thomas's question. Look at Judas, not Iscariot's question. They're sitting around with Jesus just asking these questions. I love the freedom they have, and, and you and I have that same freedom with Jesus. Thomas in verse five says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way. How do I get there? But Jesus explains it's, it's, it's not a, a road that you take, it's a person that you take. Just like God made a way across the Red Sea for the Israelites fleeing the armies of Pharaoh as they left Egypt, so Jesus makes a way for us to escape the terrors of sin and sorrow. He's made a way for us to bridge that gap of sin that formerly separated us eternally from God's glory and his holiness. He himself is the bridge. And since he is the way to God, he also must therefore be the truth and the life as well. The only way to God the Father must be the fullest expression of what's true with a capital T. It must also be the fullest expression of life then, since it leads to abundant life now and forever. I believe this text at face value, that it means what it says, that Christ is the only way to be right with God, both now and forever. In Acts chapter four, when Peter is speaking before the, the, the high priest and the council in Jerusalem, he's filled with the Holy Spirit and in verse 11, he boldly proclaims, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. And there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Ooh, Peter, that's not a very nice thing to say. That's offensive to our modern sensibilities to claim that we have the truth, that we have it right. That means other people don't. You can't say that. It's an exclusive truth claim. It is. You're right. It is. Tim Keller rightly points out that every religion and every secular philosophy is an exclusive truth claim to say all religions are wrong. Well, that's an exclusive. Oh, you have it right then. It's an exclusive truth claim. Everyone makes these exclusive truth claims, even in an effort to be inclusive. The, the key, Keller says, is that Christianity, of all the exclusive truth claims out there, is the, the most inclusive. Because in Christ, there is no Jew or Greek. There is no male or female. 
There is no slave or free, but all are one in Christ. The gospel of Jesus has always been about every nation, tribe, and tongue, about men and women who are both equally made in the image of God, all of, of them being reconciled and restored by grace through faith in the cross of Christ and his glorious resurrection. When we believe that gospel, when we believe in God's saving plan, when we believe in Jesus as the center of that plan, our hearts find comfort for their troubled ways. Again, these, these questions that these disciples ask lead to promises that Jesus makes them. And that first promise that we focused on is our eternal place in heaven. And I wanna close with just a second promise that is about our comfort now in the present as well. The greatest promise that Jesus gives us for here and now, the most comforting thing he could possibly give us for our troubled hearts is found in verse 16 and 17. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you, and we will be in you. When Jesus says that the Father will give them and us another helper, there's an interesting thing that's happening in the, the Greek text here. There's two words in Greek for another. One is heteros. Heteros means another of a different kind. And there's alos. Alos means another of the same kind. It'd be like when my wife taught first grade and she would bring in all different varietals of apples to her class. And they would taste test gala apples and jazz apples and honey crisp apples, which I'm sure are genetically modified somehow, but they're delicious. My personal favorite, the red delicious, that's what I grew up as a kid eating. I love them now. What if I went to Kroger and bought all the red delicious apples they had and I only got 100 and I, I couldn't give everyone here one, so I had to get some other, some galas and some jazz apples, whatever else, this, they would be different kinds. They would be an apple, but it would be of a different variety. It would be of a different type. When Jesus says that I'm going to send you a helper, another helper, he says, alos. I'm going to send you another of the exact same kind as me. I'm gonna send you one of the exact same variety that I am to you. They would soon receive a helper just like Jesus. Therefore, they didn't need to have troubled hearts at his departure. The, the Holy Spirit is something we don't talk enough about. Uh, a lot of evangelicals are accused of being Trinitarians who believe in God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Bible, or the Holy Scriptures that we worship in place of the Holy Spirit. That's a mistake. There's no power for the church. There's no hope for our present without the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit in us. And that spirit is the same as Christ. It's alos, another helper. There's so much the same that Paul in, in Romans 8, 9 says that the Holy Spirit is the spirit of Christ in us. Verse 17 says that this spirit's gonna dwell with us and be in us. 
Imagine if it was discovered that, that Jesus was in Jerusalem right now. You, you couldn't get a flight to anywhere close to the Middle East because millions around the world would be flocking to Jerusalem. Trains and convoys and ships would all be desperately trying to get to Jesus and, and there would be lines of hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people just waiting to get within arm's reach of Jesus and to have access to him. But we have a helper just like Jesus who we have immediate access to now in the present, right in this moment, inside of us. It's an amazing thing. He is our helper. Some translations say counselor, some say comforter, some say advocate. The, the Greek word is parakletos. It, para means alongside of, like parallel lines, and kletos is from kaleo, it means call. It's one who's called alongside of, like an advocate, it's a legal term in court, someone who advocates for someone else, like an attorney. You know, one of my favorite joys as a dad was getting to teach my kids to ride their bikes. You know, after hours of running alongside of them, you know, holding the back seat of their little bikes, and there's a little bit of a hill in our cul-de-sac where we used to live in Franklin, and kind of just push them down that hill, and then they think I'm holding on, and at some point I'm not, and they get it, and it clicks, and I'm just so proud. I have a video, uh, we'll show this, this is May. April of 2016. I'm looking good in my, oh. Click it again there, there you go. Watch this. <laughs> Just pure giggle. She's ringing the bell. <laughs> pure joy, pure joy, right? She's sort of ringing the bell. It's the first time she ever rode her bike. She takes her hand off the handlebar and ring the bell. So she's ringing the bell. She said, it means I'm going to go fast. <laughs> I don't know what she was thinking, but the spirit is kind of like that for us. The spirit, you see how it ran out in front of May just in case she was going to fall again because inevitably Teaching a kid to ride a bike involves some amount of falling. And you and I, when we fall, the Holy Spirit is there for us to help us dust off, to pick us up, to maybe dress our wounds if need be, to encourage us, to, to smile and giggle along with us as we go through life. The parakletos comes alongside of us what a beautiful thing. This is why Jesus can say with confidence in verse 12, truly, truly, amen, amen in Greek. I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. Man, I hope none of the disciples were as cynical and jaded as I am because if I'd heard Jesus say to me, hey, Nathan, you're going to do greater things than what you've seen me do, I'd say, yeah, right. You're God. I'm, I'm just, I'm such a, man, I mess up all the time. I'm like a bumbling buffoon. You should have seen me trying to check out books at Lipscomb's library on Friday. It was terrible. 
I didn't know what I was doing. It was, I told Morgan the story. She's like, Nathan, come on. Didn't take your student ID. What are you thinking? But Jesus knows what he's talking about. If we would realize that once Jesus returns to the Father and he sends the paraclete into his church, this new covenant community that after Acts chapter 2 will never be the same, then we would realize what a powerful force we are for changing the world, for playing our part in God's redemptive purposes for creation. Jesus knows what he's saying. God's people are not an anxiety-ridden, troubled-hearted, conflicted group of cowards. God's people are dangerous because they're filled with the Holy Spirit. God's people are powerful because they're filled with the Holy Spirit. God's people are victorious because they're filled with the Holy Spirit. That's our reality. So if your heart is troubled today, just hear these two promises. This is not our home. This is a broken place, and God's fixing it, and one day he's gonna come back and make it all new, and that will be our home, the new heaven and new earth in which we will dwell for eternity, not floating on clouds playing harps. That's, that's not what the Bible says at all. That sounds terrible to me for eternity. I don't wanna do that. It's gonna be so much better than you could ever ask or imagine or think. That's our future, that's our hope, that Jesus is gonna come back and, and fix everything. And that's where we're gonna live forever with him. The second great promise, that we have an advocate who runs alongside of us with joy, who picks us up when we fall, who runs ahead of us in case we are headed for danger. The helper who is just like Jesus, who lives in us. Let not your hearts be troubled. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for your word, for these great promises we have in scripture that show us that you will never leave us or forsake us, but that you indwell us. We thank you for sending a helper, for the advocate who comes alongside of us. God, I, I know I need the Holy Spirit every day I need that, that presence of your spirit in me, guiding me, convicting me of sin when I need it, encouraging me when I need it, giving me hope and filling me with power in the face of overwhelming odds. I can do all things because you are in me. God, thank you for the hope we have of glory, the hope of eternity, that this broken world is not the end of things, but that we're gonna spend eternity in the place that you prepare for us. And it will be so much better than any resort. It will be so much better than any possible day of golf or beach or anything that we've ever had in our lives. And it'll just get better each day and better each day and better each day. God, we thank you for this promise that we have. We pray that we would go out and live as power-filled, powerful people who carry out your redemptive plans for this world because you are in us. Forgive us of our cowardice. Forgive us of our timidity. Forgive us of our lack of trust in you. We love you. pray this thing in the powerful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks.
At this time, we're going to have an invitation. We're going to sing again, um, His mercy is more. Um, the, the reality is that our sins are many, but God's mercy is revealed in Jesus Christ is more than we could ever ask or think even. If you've never accepted that mercy for yourself, if you've never surrendered your heart to Jesus Christ like Juliana's done and like so many in this church have done, we invite you to come forward now and talk to me about that. Maybe you just wanna pray with somebody. I'm gonna ask Trey if you'll come, Jan if you'll come. If you wanna pray with somebody, they're here to pray with you or I can pray with you. Maybe you wanna join Woodmont. Maybe you're coming to our new members lunch right after this and you're ready now to, to become a member of this church and you wanna come forward as a candidate for membership here at Woodmont Baptist. If you wanna do that today, I'll be here to receive you. Whatever it is you need to do in this time, let's stand and sing together. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more.